Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to We Have a Take, the What Podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, and I am joined as always by Rose Harding. Hey, Rose. Hi, Tara. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm glad to hear that you have a voice after the concert you went to last night. Uh, it was two nights ago, and I have to say, I was like 50-50 that I was going to have anything <laughs> to say here today, um, but I sound kind of okay. Not like, I, I sounded like a smoker yesterday, but today it's pretty okay. But thank you for caring about my health. Well, we are so glad that you're here, and we have some really special guests today. Now, folks, I don't want to upset anybody by, you know, dwelling on the fact that the Blazers aren't going to be going to the playoffs this year. But I've already personally found the team that I'm going to support. And um, I think a lot of people in Portland want to support this team. And so we have representing the fan base of the Sacramento Kings, the Pacific Division champions and number third seed uh, heading into the playoffs. We have two awesome fans that y'all probably recognize from Twitter. Um, One of them is Jill Edge, friend of the show. Welcome back, Jill. So happy to have you. Thank you for having me again. I'm happy to be back. And we have <laughs> and on added- better terms this time, some actual excitement rather than the doom and gloom I usually come here with regarding well, and the you're team. You're usually our um our uh, assistant coach expert. Yep. And uh coaching's probably one of the things we're going to c- touch on today because we're going to touch on all the things that there are to cheer for about the Kings. And joining us today for the first time on the We Have a Take podcast, we are joined by Megaloo. Um Meg and people probably recognize her uh as Megaloo from um from King's Twitter. Welcome, Meg. It's so great to have you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with a bunch of ladies. <laughs> well, so what um we usually get started with is an icebreaker. Uh Rose, you want to do the icebreaker? I and do. Then we'll get to know them a little bit too. Yes, because this is an icebreaker that is near and dear to my heart. And it is a thing that I do for myself to upgrade my social media life. So I want to hear what is your favorite muted word or term on Twitter that made your feed better? <laughs> and I'm going to start. This is not basketball related. I will start because this one is the my very first muted term that I ever put on Twitter. And it upgraded my life. And it I muted the name Joey Chestnut. <laughs> now, people know who Joey Chestnut is. He is a competitive eater, and every 4th of July, he wins some disgusting hot dog eating contest, and there's just, my feed is full of videos of, like, a very, like, like, mediocre-looking man shoving food in his face, and it's, like, falling out of his mouth, and he's, like, dunking, like, hot dog buns in water and, like, shoving it in there, and I'm, like, I can't have this. I can't have this every year. I It only comes around once a year and it is absolutely my number one best muted term. It's good that you did that because he actually just came on my feed yesterday or the day before because he's now joined a burrito eating contest. So now there's, it's even more than one time a year, <laughs> but that's oh, hilarious no. that you said that because it literally just hopped on my feed. Upgrade your life, ladies. Mute that term. Nobody should have to look at that disgusting thing with like food falling out of its mouth. Like, no, I'm sorry. I had a baby. We did the toddler phase. I'm over that. What about you, Jill? Since you that's so have great. been talking about the Joey Chestnut, do you have a term? Oh that you my love? gosh, that's hilarious. Um, 
I will say what I had muted before, but I've unmuted um, just because of the discord and it was, you know, it's Kings related, but I had uh, Bagley and Luca at different times uh, muted just because it didn't want to see it anymore. Didn't want to hear it. Um, We've gotten far enough along to where it's, I don't, I don't have it now. Um, And it's not, you know, as much on our feed, you know, and, and I think the, at least now that the Kings are winning, um, the attitude in which you see people tweet about Luca as a Kings fan has probably changed because now it's more about complaining, you know, when you're in the refs and all that stuff. Um, but for a long time, those were the two just because it was ugly. (laughs) (laughs) That is so smart. That's yeah. a really good one too. And also I think as Blazers fans, we remember when Marvin Bagley kind of came at Dame and we were like, ugh, oof. So oh, the whole I could <laughs> I could have muted him too. And I uh, I just didn't because I didn't care that much. Yep. What about you, Meg? I am taking notes because I am really I'm kind of like a tech savvy Luddite. So I don't know how to do all this stuff. So I've never muted anything on my feed, but I am going to. I am <laughs> Inspired. This is like super inspiring. And I might even mute like Lakers um, for a little while. And I love that you can mute and unmute. So you guys are teaching me things right now. I am so excited for your future. You're just going to be like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's like a whole new it's world. So out much there. better. <laughs> and you can mute accounts too. Like if there's, and the nice thing about muting accounts is you can still go back and see what they're saying when you feel like it, but you don't have to like, have it like thrown into your feed although like who knows what's going to show up in your yeah feed. I have like I only have like four people block and I mute ads and stuff like mm-hmm. that but I, yeah I'm I'm good at Twitter but I'm terrible at Twitter like I I'm just an old lady who you know. <laughs> welcome to the club right <laughs> okay Tara what about you okay I'm probably going to make a lot of enemies with my list um I won't read them all see um (laughs) this one is probably what people are going to upset people but hashtag girl dad (laughs) I had enough of girl dad like that was cute for like a couple of months and after that it's like if you're still hashtag girl dadding then god bless you and good for you and your lovely family and I'm really happy for you but um i I'm just not feeling like I need to see those tweets another one that is of a very specific time and place hashtag top shot yeah, I get Remember it. That? I get Remember it. Yeah. That? Oh God, I get it. Yeah. I got really into it for like a month and I like, you know, bought one pack and I did the wait in line. And then I was like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> and then another random one that I always forget that I have muted is pumpkin. I think I did that <laughs> one October and I just think it was a pumpkin spice related. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, um, I, I, uh, don't hate me blazer fans but i have um the words bill walton also muted forever <laughs> that guy drives me nuts i get it i should have said luke walton because at one point i think most kings had or watch the tape <laughs> i i have to tell you one other one because i have this one is something that i also forget i have muted but i think it also upgraded my quality of life i muted the phrase that's the tweet because i've literally never seen a tweet that says that's the tweet that's any good i don't want to see those please stop tweeting that's the tweet that's too like 2018 for me get out of here that's or not the tweet if they do you'll never see it that's true I, 
I, I also pulled a really big self-care move today and I just straight up blocked the warriors. Like that was like, okay, I'm done, done, yeah. done. I'm um, so on board with that kind of blanket maneuver. I'm, I'm really <laughs> considering well, we got we'll so see, much crap. We'll see how the whole playoff thing goes, but yeah, I was like yeah. the, the Lakers stuff. I'm like, ah, oh, I can't, I can't do it. Like there, did they ever you know, come out? and apologize to your training staff oh heavens no at all no heavens no they just like they just like rescinded their request for an investigation and then like decided to move on and let you know shams carry so they just basically slandered portland and then moved on like nothing actually happened from all that slander right except for slander like nothing can happen right and hardly anybody even went on the record from their from their front office for it they just like filtered information through shams who by the way I, i've also muted yeah bizarre 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 i've been They're- practicing my booing for like three days because our last game of the season on sunday is against the golden warriors <laughs> my favorite thing that came out of that whole thing is Woj had a typo or not like a typo he like messed up in a tweet and instead of calling him the golden state warriors he called them the golden warriors so from now on they're the golden warriors in my book and they travel i mean you guys know what it's like to have i'm sure they fill your arena because they're so close right because they absolutely fill ours plus they bump up tickets ticket prices so i think a lot of season tickets and i don't blame them at all like i think a lot of season ticket holders make that some of their money like good for them um i used to pay like for 75 percent of my season ticket money used to be paid for just by lakers and warriors games here Mm -hmm. like but it funded my whole next year like, um, you know, no shame in that. So, um, if someone wants to pay that crazy price, I mean, that's, that's on you. And I'd seen who I wanted to see. So, I mean, and at that point we usually weren't all that great. So it wasn't, you know, um, didn't make that much of a difference, but yeah, there's a lot of people here, um, at least, season ticket holder wise who's who've been like funding their tickets for years just by selling those go get your money man go yep. get i uh, raise those prices drive them up well um before we dive into the kings themselves meg i'd love to get to know you a little bit more and maybe you could tell us a little bit about like your connection to basketball and how you got so into the kings well <laughs> Um, I grew up in Southern California. My grandmother was a huge basketball fan. Um, she was like a Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar aficionado. So I kind of grew up as an ancestral, um, Lakers fan. Um, but it just, uh, the Kobe Shaq kind of disintegration. I left basically when Shaq left, um, because I loved Shaq and I did not love Kobe. And um, I, I didn't like how entitled I felt like that kind of a fan base was where you just buy more pieces and you just are champions all the time. And it's, I don't know, it just got really boring to me. So I kind of roved around. I did like a Clippers fandom a little bit. I did a Warriors fandom a little bit, like back in the day before they were the Warriors. 
And um, and then I I went and saw uh, Demarcus Cousins Isaiah Thomas game, and I just fell super hard. Like I, Demarcus was like that passing big man that is just magical to me in basketball. And um, you know, so I've been watching basketball for I think like thirty five years, somewhere around there. And uh, yeah, so I. I have not, I don't have the ties that Jill has because I think she's like a lifelong Kings fan, but um, I got here as soon as I could. (laughs) Um, And it's been fun. I really prefer like rooting for an underdog and the smaller market kind of vibe is way more my style than, you know, just, you know, the biggest market possible, just spend as much money as possible and have all the stars like me. I'm not in. But that. yeah, you might not have been here the whole time, but you have been here through some of the toughest times. I mean, so I mean that that, that is true. equates for yeah. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I mean, you've been through the, like the worst with the rest of us. So I mean, whatever happened before then. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's fun because I've actually gone back uh, through my book club. We've gone back and specifically read a lot of the King's history, especially since they've been in Sacramento. And that's been really cool and fun to do uh, just to, you know, know more about like Pete Carrill or Jerry Reynolds or, you know, whatever the good teams that, and obviously I remember playing those teams as a Lakers fan. So, so yeah, uh, here I am. Can you tell us a little bit more about that book club? I think uh, folks would love to hear more about that. Yeah. So my friend John and I do um, a, a, and it's a, whoever kind of wants to show up and is reading the book. So we do a monthly book club, which we started out doing like analytics and X's and O's because we both just wanted to learn mo- more and like have a deadline to read it by. And then we started, you know, kind of putting a little bit lighter fare in as far as like history and stuff like that. So we just read half of Breaks of the Game. We'll read the next half this month. Um, so that kind of ties into the Portland thing. And we've read almost all of the like pace and space recommended X's and O's slash analytics books that there are to kind of try and understand a little bit more about how the game is spread out and stuff like that. So it's been a really fun experience and it's really up to my knowledge of history, basketball, how it all ties together and where the origins and roots of a lot of like the modern game come from. I love that. I think that's such an awesome idea. And um, I have a lot of thoughts about breaks of the game, but I will save them for, but when, for going to the, um, to the next time you have the book club, how can people find out when you have the book club? I publish it on Twitter. Next month is a little complex because like I said, we're reading the second half of breaks of the game. So from page 233 on and um, the, uh, but I publish it on Twitter as soon as we have the spaces and then I'll just download that into a podcast and we're working around the playoff schedule right now. So we don't know when the next one will be. Um, yeah. So, but it, it should be really exciting right now. We're reading about like the way that, you know, TV uh, like exponentially uh, made the game so different and that, part of the breaks of the game is really fascinating to me less so like I think they talk about like like you said a lot about Bill Walton and stuff like that eh, whatever but um yeah it's a kind of a disaster narrative which is my speciality <laughs> I love those <laughs> so yeah you can always just look for my Twitter Megaloo to you 
on Twitter. Awesome. And we'll make sure that we, um, uh, we I'll look for it too, so that oh, um, people you. can, people yeah. can know what book to, to read. Cause a lot of Portland fans have already read obviously breaks of the game. Cause it's about the Portland trailblazers. And, um, so they might really enjoy it. My biggest thing with the book is that why couldn't he just make chapters? Like that's my whole oh thing. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. There's like, there's no chapters. Chapter. <laughs> There's no and, chapters. How do yeah. you write a book with no? Come it's, on, dude. It's just one long continuous. Well, no, there's like there's there's, there's like one chapter, two chapter, and then the third chapter is like the rest of the book, like and it's like hundreds of pages long, and it just goes on and on and on. And it's funny because Kevin and John, who do it with me, they both did the audio book, and they broke the audio book up into chapters, so we kind of have no idea where each other is, but. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting also in the day and age of like digital books versus actual books, because some of the books you can't get digitally, which is I never realized what a pain it is to read a physical book. <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> I love it. Well, speaking of disaster narratives, two teams, uh, you know, two fan bases who know disaster narratives well. Um, so, could not be more excited for where the Kings are headed, but you guys have been through a lot to get here. A lot. And Rose and I talked really briefly, like at the beginning of the season, because I went to my first Sacramento game. I went to opening night in Sacramento. I'm wearing my t-shirt from that. Um, but uh, we, so we talked about the referees because that was palpable. Like you could feel like, you know, the crowd wanting to just like murder the referees, like no matter what. <laughs> and so we looked, went back and looked back to the history to see where that came from. So we have a little bit of an understanding of that. Um, so, I mean, you're, for, you're free to talk about that. But one of the stories that I would love to hear y'all talk about is the fact that um, the league almost gave your city, gave your team away <laughs> or, or let your team get sold somewhere else. But yeah, and, and it happened like, three four different times like and then the seattle one is the one that people just know about but like years before it was anaheim it was virginia beach like there were all different kinds of of places and then it wasn't until we got that infamous what was it dana falk tweet of the um she's hearing about you know seattle investors uh wanting to buy the kings and it was like wait a second and then all of a sudden we got the um loose have agreed to to sell the team to chris hansen and then we got the infamous Woj first and goal it's the first and goal tweet which we love to throw back at him because um you know everyone takes his word as gospel and his tweet was it's essentially done right you're you're first and goal right you're on you're, it's it's right there and this team said nope the city said nope the fans said nope <laughs> Um, and I will say credit to David Stern. Like he was a huge, um, proponent of it was never the city or the fans like issues. We had had multiple deals with the Maloofs of, we had them at one point going at center court saying a deal was done, them raising their arms together that the, with Kevin Johnson and the city and them and come together. And at that point it was going to be, I think it was Cal Expo or, you know, there, there were different locations talked about. Um, and then right after that, you know, you get 
oh, okay, now it's not done again. Um, or we want more money from the city or now we're broke, right? Like they end up have the Maloofs essentially, they didn't go broke in the terms of real life broke. They went in terms of like sports ownership broke because they're now part owners of the Golden Knights in Vegas, right? Like, but at that time when a lot of people were losing money, they lost, they lost a lot of money. Um, whether they weren't smart with their money, they had it in bad investments. You know, there's a multitude of things uh, of where they had their money spread, but essentially they became, um, you know, sports ownership broke in terms. And so, you know, there were talks of them turning down Sacramento offers first, you know, they went to Seattle or, you know, they'll tell you, oh, we, we went that route to, you know, to really force, you know, people over here to, to have to match and have to come up with it. Um, but you know, like, uh, Meg mentioned Isaiah Thomas, like we packed, um, city council meetings, right? Like there was every, and so that place was standing room only like in the back and Isaiah Thompson would come and, and sit in those meetings with fans who's from and, Seattle, by the way, I think that's from mine. Seattle. Yes. Yeah. Like, and I, it was all, it was already, I mean, at the time, I think the rumors about Seattle were already there. There was like Anaheim rumors and stuff too, but yeah, yeah, I think he'll forever be like the one of, of, you know, the most beloved figures in sort of Sacramento Kings history, just because he was such a great guy and showed up to those meetings. And I mean, I think this kind of goes to the Portland small market thing too, is like, we're a one team town. Like, yeah, we have like minor league baseball, we have soccer now, which is great, which still is minor league as well. But being a one team town, it's just all you have. And um, so- And a top 20 market at that. Like people forget yeah. that too. We're a small town, but we're still like a top 20, you know, there's 30 teams the and we're still in the top 20. Happening. Yeah. yeah. So. Just, I mean, I wasn't quite as involved at that time. I was like having kids and stuff. So I didn't, I didn't go to those meetings or anything, but I think everybody in Sacramento Kings fan or not knew what was happening. And just also like the revitalization of downtown was kind of on the line because they started talking about building a new building. And at that point, Arco was just literally like the roof was falling Falling apart. Yeah. Yeah. Gnarly. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think that's such an emotional lodestone for most Kings fans. And even though I wasn't extremely involved in the process at the time, I think I've looked back into it too. And like the David Stern stuff, I know Aileen Boisson was involved. Like everybody, so many people who haven't gotten credit to like, and people discount Kevin scenes. Martin yeah. because, you know, he maybe isn't like the most you know, I don't know, character filled person, but he was really elemental in keeping them here. And yeah, here we stay. We kept our team. I think that's such an amazing, you know, story. Um, And we had, um, there were multiple fan like groups that um, would fly out to any time a big uh, board of governors meeting was happening or whether um, there were meetings in Dallas or meetings in New York, like wherever it was, we had people in the know. And so we had fans with posters, with cowbells, wherever, like the entrance that they all had to walk through for, for every meeting, they were Kings fans. there, like in their face. Um, and like making them know we have not forgot, like we're still here. You have, you know, you can talk about money and all that stuff all you want, but like, we're still here. One of our radio personalities, Carmichael Dave, 
I don't know if you guys saw this, but he got one of those big Winnebago's and one of the, the local, uh, marketing groups here, they designed, um, a, like, you know, the, what do you call it? Like the, a wrapper, like the car. Yes. The car wraps. Um, and so they did it for a big RV and it was playing to win. Was that what it was or something? I think it was along those lines. And, um, they had, we all went out there and signed it. And so they went, they did a, a trip to every arena, um, uh, in the NBA and they went there, were telling people the story, uh, you know, opposing fan bases, the story they had people signing the Winnebago. And then the last leg of that trip was where they parked in front of the hotel where the big meeting was happening with the big sign of all the Sacramento signs of opposing fan bases signs, um, and had that be like their big eyesore as they were walking through. Um, and I know people are like, oh, well, that didn't save it. You know, that's just kind of flash. Like we know there was companies locally that stepped up, you know, that put in the money. We had over 11,000 uh, promises for season tickets, you know, of people, you know, putting in, uh, you know, their promise or deposit or, you know, whatever that if they stayed, um, you'd have this many people, you know, being season ticket holders, um, it was just a, a combined effort of everybody coming together. And it's really sad. So Dave and that group, they did a documentary and um, they played it locally. So we were able to go to the theater and see it and stuff. But what people don't know is there was a 30 for 30 documentary that was going to be telling this story. And some of us got to see it. And it is freaking amazing because it is such a tribute to what we did. But because of Kevin Johnson and allegations and that stuff, because he's so prominent in the role he played and here ESPN won't show it. So, which I understand a lot of us are like, can we put like a, a graphic or something up saying like, we do not condone, you know, whatever, like, but this has nothing to do with us. Right. And like what happened. And so it's just sad that that story, um, isn't being told. I understand the reasons. Um, some people have said, maybe, maybe not. Like we have no idea if it'll ever come off the shelf, um, but a lot of people put a lot of hard work into telling that story and it just never got out there. And so if you like the 30 for 30s, which I love watching, um, it really would have just showcased um, what an incredible feat that, you know, that happened. Um, and I think would tell a lot more of our history and our story here and what we've been through. There is one um, on YouTube called Small Market Big Heart, yes, too, yes. which also, um, you know, covers just exactly what it says small market big heart I mean but it's also worth watching there there's another one this may be a slightly off topic that's about the Vancouver Grizzlies moving from Vancouver which um I just watched the preview for it I haven't watched it fully but I'm I'm really interested to watch that as like a contrasting kind of viewpoint because they present it as it being primarily like advert you know sponsors they had to follow the money is what I'm understanding. I'll have to watch it to get a better view of it. But yeah, I just think it's a tragedy for many cities that can't keep their teams and it's so rare to keep it. So um, yeah, very kudos to everyone who worked so hard to do yeah. that. And Definitely we had, awesome. Yeah, we had, Vivek, <laughs> we had Vivek step up. He was a um, an owner with the, the Warriors ownership group and he wanted to go become a, a majority owner. Um, and so, you know, he threw his money in and then he, we also had, it was a crazy amount of, um, 
uh, smaller ownership groups put in like a million dollars, like here and there. And so you had um, minority owners that um, who were prominent locally that, you know, people know from seeing around here and old time families and stuff put in their money to, to join in and things like that. And so um, for as much as, you know, we critique and uh, Vivek about his tenure here, like, regardless, we will always be grateful for him, you know, throwing in, you know, his money to without him putting his name in, we wouldn't like, we wouldn't have stayed. Didn't matter. Like we still did all that stuff, but we still needed someone to match what Seattle did. And David Stern said, if you can find someone that will match, it will be yours. And that promise was kept. And so, um, Vivek did that and Shaq was part of, you know, one of the big names and that, um, but he's since now gone, but which was totally crazy, you know, how that worked out of, you know, the first game back after, you know, the team is now ours and we're staying and Shaq is like at center court, you know, um, and in the front row as now a, a team owner after, you know, all these years was, was kind of wild as a Kings fan, but um, I'm sure Meg loved that. But I mean, and you've come to love Shaq, the personality now. Um, so but I mean, and he, as much as he killed the Kings, he was still a force to, to watch and, um, and enjoy. And so, but that was a funny kind of like, uh, flop how that happened. So. I think it's like really amazing that, that the team is still there. And I always thought, I remember when it was, when they were talking about Seattle at the time, I remember thinking it was really weird that they were, that the NBA was interested in like trading one problem for another problem, because, you know, like you, you just would end up with another team dealing with what Seattle was dealing with just in Sacramento. So you don't solve any problems. You just move it around the NBA. And that seemed kind of weird and bad to me. Um, but I also like, I guess, like, I love, I'm glad that you pointed out that like, it was important about like the people with the money doing the right things. Cause I never want fans of those, of those teams to ever feel like it was their fault that their team got moved. It's not your fault because you don't have that kind of power it's all about the people who have the money and who are in the right position to keep to keep that team for your city. It's like not because Seattle fans didn't love their team. It's not because Vancouver fans didn't love their team. It's because the people with the money were not willing to be creative and find a way to keep that team there because it doesn't matter what the fans do if nobody's willing to pay for that team. A hundred percent. And what was interesting is um, we had someone, we had a crown downtown group and Mike who kind of led that charge. Um, but we had other fan groups actually reach out to him like, um, and from like Milwaukee, when they were trying to get their arena built, like, what did you guys do to kind of maybe put pressure or, you know, what, what were ways that you found successful that might've worked at, you know, your city council meetings that we could try and replicate here. And so it was interesting seeing um, groups of different fan bases kind of come together. Like, you know, can we try these tactics and maybe they will make a difference here? Like money will be involved, but if we can put pressure on the government side, like, is there anything we can do um, in those terms or, you know, um, you know, what, what were workarounds that you guys found? And so that kind of brought different areas together. And even in the long run, right? If you think of Seattle would have happened, Ballmer would have been part of that Chris Hansen ownership group. So who knows if he would have gone to the Clippers or not? Like it ended up also bringing um, Stern in that group an opportunity when David Sterling, you know, was on the outs that here's our guy that was always vetted and had all the money, like, here you go. And so it kind of worked out in that sense of 
Sacramento got to keep their team. They also got to pull this owner that was, you know, fully approved for, which would have been Seattle. Now we get to bring him down to the Clippers. You know, maybe something happens with Seattle down the line, which I hope because there are, like you said, a bunch of fans that, you know, to know part of themselves of an owner buying from OKC, buying that team and, and taking them. Um, same kind of thing with, with Vancouver. I'm excited to watch that one. Um, I think it's interesting for you guys in this, in the sense that like the, the sale is imminent, right? They have to sell the Blazers. Like they can't keep it in the trust. So you guys are going to have a new owner. Um, I know it's, isn't it the Nike guy who's looking at, at buying in. So, but it's, I mean, to I guess I just want to say thank you to Vivek and one thing that's been great about him, despite the years of losing and maybe interference and whatever criticism you can, you know, think of towards him, he's not a scumbag. He's a good guy who's trying 100%. to do the right thing. 100%. He hasn't made all the right decisions, but he's not a scumbag. And I think that's, for me as a fan, it's, it is important. I think I would sort of tune out a little bit more if I felt there was some really morally reprehensible undercurrent of ownership um you know aside from just being a millionaire which is maybe morally reprehensible in itself but um so yeah I don't know I mean I think it's I think your guys' situation I've I've been sort of keeping an eye on it too to kind of figure out what's going to happen how it changes we just saw with Phoenix how quick an owner can make an impact on what decisions are happening you know so it's fascinating um for sure. Yeah. So Phil Knight is the, the Nike guy and he, you know, publicly made an offer to buy the Blazers or head an ownership group to buy the Blazers and then keep them here. I don't think that we're ever in, like in serious threat of being moved basically because of what already happened. <laughs> like maybe if none of that had happened in previous years, I don't know, but like I, I would be shocked if they would be the nba would actually be open to moving this team just simply because it's just created decades of mess for them in the past um it's always really weird though because so like portland fans are really aware of the seattle loss because like we always have people in sonics jerseys at our games there's always people that show up to like that are that are like sonics fans and are like big sort of like i think that they might have i think that maybe there was like this hope that they could roll up those fans into the blazer fandom sort of because like all of a sudden like we're we're like you know we're they're locally like uh, like the blazers are on locally there and i'm like why would like why would they love us like we were rivals until they didn't have a team and you know it was like a it was like an important rivalry. And then suddenly you're supposed to roll those fans up into this fan base. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. And I mean, in some ways, I feel like that's a little, little bit our uh, Kevin Calabro was like, maybe like supposed to help do because he's like a Seattle guy. I don't know. It, it just never felt like an, or, like, a, like an organic thing to me. It's like merging two high schools that were rivals in a, in a small town. You know, it doesn't make any sense to like expect them to be like, okay, now we're friends. Like, no, I mean, remember the Titans was a good movie or whatever, but it wasn't real. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, I don't know much about Phil Knight, but it seems like he has deep ties to the area. So I would consider that to be a bonus. Um, you know, what well, I don't know anything about his politics or anything like that, but I mean, 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's very complicated with Uncle Phil. Yeah, um, because <laughs> Uncle Phil. we wouldn't be who we are without Uncle Phil. The Oregon Ducks wouldn't be who they are. Mm. We wouldn't have the identity. You know, I mean, it's like something having Nike World Headquarters in your backyard and then adidas moving their american headquarters here and then columbia being here and because you know because of him we're now like a sportswear you know mecca and uh but yeah he's got some political stuff that a lot of the fan base is not a big fan of so it's kind of like it's a mixed it's a mixed thing but yeah like the dream would be to like actually sell it to somebody who's like you know a local person the other thing that's always sort of been on our back you know hovering behind us is like and we survived it when paul allen was alive but paul allen was from seattle like he lived in seattle and he owns the he owned the seahawks as well so there's always kind of a little bit of like well you know it could just be an easy move right up to seattle you know um so that's like i what like what like rose says you know like you know i don't think that we're in um great danger of being moved but there's always just going to be that little you know i personally as somebody who grew up in portland have a big chip on my shoulder about, about seattle so if anybody says anything about seattle my i just go <laughs> so also like seattle's like Seattle's kind of like our like San Francisco in a way so like yeah you know like as far as like and as far as like being like our own city like there's something that feels a little like tenuous about our relationship with them because I think that they act like we're their little brother or something oh yeah yeah, but we we have an NBA team and you just have a bunch of tech companies with no NBA team go watch your hockey thanks yeah yeah, no, I've always thought of Seattle as like our better looking, smarter and richer older sister who just never lets us forget. <laughs> Stepsister. Step there are sister. Golden State Warriors pretty much, except for they don't have a team, <laughs> which makes it that much easier. But they I have always... like every other team. They have yeah. like multi-championship WNBA team. They have a baseball team. They have a football team. They have two soccer teams. It's like yeah riches yeah <laughs> okay well, that's enough, enough talking about Seattle but, yeah. but so ahead. the other thing to add on to that so like we go through all of that you know relocation stuff and this is while we're in the drought right the playoff drought already so like things are already bad um and then eight years later like we're still going through it that you know we it was like we finally had the new owner because this comes from the joke here of like cash considerations because by the end the Maloofs were literally selling players and picks like everything was selling for cash we were not getting anything in terms of like trying to improve the roster it was money so we always said like our best person on our roster was cash considerations um and so when Rivette came it was like you know yay like things were finally going to change and again like there was just what I've talked about on the pod previously, like just a lot of bad decisions from everywhere, not just him, but, you know, people trying to take control of power internally and just, you know, weird things. But 16 years later, we're finally here. Like we finally did this and the Pacific division, uh, you know, banner that we can hang for like the third time in history. We've had, you know, we had our ninth over 500 season in in Sacramento history. (laughs) Like, so it's, 
people make fun of us for, you know, going to the airport and, you know, having fun and welcoming teams back and stuff, but it's like, we don't get to experience it. And so whenever it comes, we enjoy every moment of it. Like, we don't care what you say. We're going to enjoy every experience that we get because we don't know if it will ever, you know, when the next time it'll come again, or if it'll get ripped away again. Um, we've had eight good years, right. As, as an organization and finally just had our night. So, um, we take it as, as we can and find the stories where we can. It's like when the sun comes out in Portland, we act like it's never going to happen again. So we're just like, we're going to just <laughs> ride this as far as we can. Um, I have kind of like a, a transition question because I want to start hearing about like some of the amazing things that have happened this year. And I'd love to start off with hearing about coaching and what you have gone through in the last several years in terms of coaches and um, what that turned into this year. Well, <laughs> it's been a lot. <laughs> I mean, in, in, just Vivek's tenure, right? I don't, I, I would have to count how many we've had, but we lost Mike Malone because they fired him early. They brought in George Carl, who DeMarcus didn't love. Just like, I mean, it's been quite a journey. They, Dave was great. I think most of us love Dave Yeager um, and would have liked to keep him, but there was so much interpersonal strife in the front office that we just couldn't. And uh, so I think people understood that. And then Luke, um, and, and it just was never, it wasn't, it just wasn't like it, there was a pro, like he was accused of sexual assault to begin the entire tenure of his coach uh, career here, which was kind of, you know, it was resolved, whatever, but it kind of like started with a black mark. Um, and then, <sighs> He never, he never did the fun stuff that Dave was doing with the team. He didn't, he didn't play fast. He didn't have guys run. He didn't use any rim running. He, he just, he, and he would come into the pressers and say like, oh, we got to watch the tape. Or that was like his most famous. We got to watch the tape. You know, we got to figure it out and watch the tape. And, um, or he would like blame the guys for not understanding basketball which that was my biggest thing with him is I was like, you're supposed to be teaching them what to do. So why don't they understand? It's not on them. They played basketball their whole entire lives. So he would sort of insinuate that they didn't have the IQ or whatever. And for me, that was a deal breaker. Um, but I still loved watching the team. I stuck with it. And uh, I love Alvin Gentry. I have you know, I've loved Alvin Gentry since the 2000s when he had that really fun young um, Clippers team with like Lamar Odom and Darius Miles and all those young guys who just pretty much ran and played read and react. So last year at the end of the year was probably like the deepest doldrum that we've had. Like we were so under expectations and then training Tyrese was heartbreaking um, but I also think most of us, as soon as Dom Demonis got here, we knew like the first game that we saw them in and they hugged after the game. I can't even remember if we won the game that they, they played Minnesota and we were they like, did. Oh, and that hug God. at the end was like, 
Yeah, we were like, this guy is so good. And I mean, you guys know what Arvidas was like. Domas is not Arvidas, don't get me wrong, but he has that element of being able to like be a hub. And it's just so beautiful. It's like, to me, it's just incredible. So anyways, bringing in, and then I think the depth of the coaching staff that they brought in, Mike Brown was my choice the whole time because I looked up his coaching record. His coaching record is phenomenal. He takes, you know, he takes role players to heights that they have never been before. Yes, he's had problems with some stars, you know, and that hasn't totally worked out with like Kyrie and Kobe. But on average, he has increased the win shares of the teams that he's coaches by at least 13 games. So I was sold on him. And then I think He's brought in, like, we know the names of every single coach on the bench almost, like Robbie Lemons. Like, I, I mean, I can name up, you know, Jordy Fernandez. Like, each of these guys, Luke Lauks, like, these guys in my mind could all be head coaches of teams in the league right now, and they're on our bench. And so I'm just so thrilled and excited, not just with Mike, because I think Mike is absolutely fantastic. And he, the, other really exciting thing about him to me is he almost word for word embodies the philosophy of Pete Carell, um, who was, you know, on the bench in um, our good years. He was like the voice of the team of share the ball, don't be greedy with the ball, um, you know, pat, like ball movement and outside shooting is the lifeblood of a connected team. And Mike Brown says a lot of that same stuff in his pressers. But then I also think like the depth of the coaching staff is just phenomenal and um, so exciting, you know, and I haven't even mentioned like Doug Christie or Lindsay Harding or like every single one of them is just fantastic in their own right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's so cool to see Doug, right. Be able to experience the highest of highs here as a player, and then now getting to experience it again as a coach. And he keeps the, the players keep referring, uh, referencing this, that, you know, I'm, I'm talking to DC and he's just saying like, just wait, like this is even anything yet. Like just, just wait, like what it's going to be like, it's going to get even, you know, um, even crazier, but like to what Meg was saying, um, so many people had issues with and I can say loosely issues with Mike Brown's name because of the Warriors history and Vivek and this team. But like I said, on, on multiple podcasts, if you take away his name, similar to what she said, and you just look at what he's done, you would take that guy all day, any day, you know, you didn't have a name. You didn't know who you were looking at, but you look at everything he did in his career. Yeah. I mean, the guy has spent more than half of his life, on an NBA bench, whether it be a video coordinator, a scout, like he worked his way up from the bottom after he played in college. And he's given first opportunities to so many successful guys right now, the Darvin Hams, the Mike Malones. Um, I mean, and so, and he got to, to get it all from, you know, Greg Popovich and get that coaching tree. And then Rick Carlisle, on, I mean, and then Steve Kerr, you know, with everything in, um, just hearing him talk and, and about his journey 
Um, and you know, he was thrown in at Cleveland, he was 35, 36. So he was super young. Um, but he was that talented then. Right. And you hear a lot of the stars even say now, I wish I listened to him more. Um, and that I wish I would have taken, I would have appreciated more what he was saying and maybe not that he was saying it because he felt like I could be that guy or I could be better, you know, and I took it personally and I shouldn't have, but, and I've come to see now he just wanted the best out of me. Um, and so, and you're hearing the same stuff from these guys and just the trust they have in each other. And, um, he was on a podcast, I think it was last week. And just talking about how he's brought this group together. Um, they had retreats and, you know, normally it's just a coaching retreat, but he invited everybody from the front office, um, people from, you know, the financial side. It's, he was trying to get everybody to see, you know, what we're building here. He had everybody sign a contract, including uh, Vivek and sat every player down and said, I talked with you on what I want your goals to be. Um, and had everybody sit in a team meeting and show it up on a, you know, a screen or a board and say, this is what we agreed upon. Do you buy in and agree to sign this contract that I will do this for this team? And they, they um, all sat there one by one, agreed to it, signed to it. They bring it on every road trip. They have it in their locker room. They have it in like their training staff. Um, but there's just a level of accountability that like has never been here before and guys genuinely liking each other and loving to playing together and loving to play for this staff. Um, most of them spent the summer together. Uh, Darren Fox got married to his wife, Rase, um, this summer, and they brought Luke Laux and some of the training staff with them on their honeymoon. And it was actually funny because his wife was actually, she played college basketball and then WNBA. So she's, you know, she's on it herself. Um, but she, was an intern with the Warriors with Luke Laux and Mike Brown and them there. So when she knew that they were going to be getting the job, she told De'Aaron like, yes, and go get with Luke, go get with Luke Laux. And so he went on their honeymoon with them to Italy. And that was their way of showing too, that, you know, we're, we've bought into this process and, um, Fox, you know, he's been here and has been through the worst of the worst. And, um, I was talking about this with you guys earlier, but he, you know, had this video in the players tribune, um, in 2018 and basically had a message for fans and said, I'm all in with you guys. Like, this is my promise to you. We're going to get there. And it delivered this year. And, and you can see the joy in his face. And he just had a, um, a young son this year. And you see Rase um, on, uh, She's on the, the front court and you see baby rain. So they called him rain, like the rain of the Kings, um, you know, as a newborn, just sitting there watching his dad, you know, and after every game, he comes off the court. And the first thing he does is go give her a kiss after the game and, you know, say hi to him, um, to her and the baby. Like there, it's just like, they're good. Like they're good guys. And it's just so easy um, to, to root for him and just have everything be enjoyable. Like there's no, this is one of the first years we said too, we've had like no controversies or issues or, you know, we're not constantly having tweets about us and our infighting or, a, you know, three coaches being fired in a season or players unhappy with roles. Like everything's just been good and fun and easily like finally we're out of, you know, the, we're letting the Mavs deal with their stuff. And like, we're out of the mess of that. We're normally, you know, being thrown in after, you know, 
16 to 20 years of constantly having it, um, we finally just get to enjoy it. And so whenever we see people give us crap, we're like, just let us enjoy it. Like, let us have our season and enjoy it. Um, yeah, I will fight any of those. Down. I will fight any of those people that you need me to. Um, I am just trying not to cry thinking about what it must be like to have a coach that has coaching experience and how jealous I am of that. Uh, <laughs> it's wonderful to hear like all of the things, like I knew that he was an experienced coach, but also listening to how he dealt with accountability, which was different than what our coach did when he came in and started saying, we're going to start putting a name on it. And everyone was like, eh, what are you talking about? And, uh, so yeah, that, oh, that's just so wonderful to hear. Yeah. I need to switch gears. I can't talk about coaching anymore. It's bumming me out. I'm sorry. I can't hear about someone else's really great coach when our, you know, we have whatever we have. Um, I feel you. We were, we were, <laughs> I'm very happy for you, but like, no, I can't talk about this anymore. We have to move on. And like, I'm like, like, I think the Blazers fans right now, that's like a particular sore spot for us. And uh, we can't, we're not going to be able to do anything about it. It doesn't look like anything's going to be done about it. So we're just going to have to live in the messy room we made. Um, but I have a question for you. So we are a Blazers podcast. We don't know your team. We don't have a team in the playoffs. And what I really need to hear is how am I going to pick? Who am I going to root for in the playoffs on your team? Cause I don't know them. I will say like, I, obviously my inclination is like, well, I'm, I'm a Sabonis fan because obviously, but I know people tell me I should be a De'Aaron Fox fan. Although I have, to be honest, I have no idea why. Um, I looked at your roster. I was like, gosh, I don't know most of these guys, or I thought they were out of the league and it turns out they were in Sacramento. Um, I can't root for Harrison Barnes. So don't sell him to me. Sell me something else. Who am I rooting for? Oh, Harrison Barnes, Barnes. You're like the most likable guy. Um, but no, uh, I will say one of the things that people love about Dame is his loyalty, right? Like he's, that's, that's our De'Aaron Fox. And we haven't even been winning. I mean, the guy had, he doesn't complain. He left Sacramento, like him and his wife genuinely like would be happy to spend their whole career here. Like they're not about, you know, the big flashy stuff and going out their family. He loves to play video games. Like he's home with his wife and his kid. Like it's just, he. And he's never been able to experience the success. And he finally is. And it's just like Meg was referencing the hug last year. That was De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis after their first game together. Literally when the game ended, they just came together and gave like stood there and just hugged. And like, you could see it on their faces that it was like, we can do this. Like us two, big and small, like let's prove everybody wrong. We can do it. And credit to them, like, they've taken it and they've, they've run with it. Like, so I think it depends on the kind of vibes that you're looking. So like, if you like the loyalty thing, that's, that's Fox, um, clutch, clutch man. Um, Sabonis is like, your can do with everything. Keegan is our rookie that can just shoot the ridiculous, like the crap out of the ball. And our things are, we're always looking for a Keegan smile or a Keegan spurt, uh, smirk because he is like nothing. Um, and so whenever he does something and we get a smile, it's like, you know, like we're getting a Keegan smile or the, the bench will razz him to try to get it out of him. And it becomes a big joke. Um, Kevin Herter, right. Everyone gave him crap. Like, sorry, you're leaving a good team. And now you're being thrown to the pits of Sacramento. 
him and Keegan just did the first thing um, for the first time in NBA history. There's been two pairs. There's been a pair of players on two different teams of where each one hit over 200 three pointers, Clay and Curry, um, Keegan and uh, Kevin Herter. And so like this team is continuing to do things that prove everybody wrong. Like all we've heard the whole season is this team's going to fall back to earth. Like they're frauds, they're fake, they're whatever. And this group is just saying, nope, like we're, we're just going to keep out. We're going to keep playing. Um, almost like the bad news bears, right? Like no one expects anything from them. And then they just keep going out and just saying how much they love being together. They love playing with each other. Um, Meg, I'm trying to think who else we could throw out there. Um, well, Malik I, Monk. Malik yeah. Monk is like the fun committee. <laughs> if you yeah. just want to watch a guy just have like fun playing he, basketball. I almost feel like everyone in like sets in a way, like, like De'Aaron and Domas are kind of together because there are two superstars. They're going to be consistent every single night. They're going to do their amazing thing every single night. De'Aaron is so fun in the fourth quarter. I mean, he's almost like a mini matrix in my mind where they know what's coming, but they cannot stop it. He just finds spots that you didn't even know existed on the floor. Um, Kevin, Keegan, just pure shooters. Kevin does some really cool stuff like inside the arc too. I think he's a phenomenal cutter. He sets some really great screens. Keegan's learning. Keegan's getting there, but he's a rookie and he's contributed to winning, which I think is really phenomenal. I'm so excited about him. My two favorite guys on the team right now are much deeper cuts. They're Kessler Edwards, who we got at the deadline. He's a wing defender. He's a good perimeter defender. He's a good on-ball defender, and he's been surprisingly good offensively. Um, and he's been sort of like the prototype 3 and D guy that we have never had. Like we've always wanted like Rocco, you know what I mean? And we have never had that guy. And Kessler is like a young guy who's come in and been that. And when he's on the floor, sometimes they reach this like level of basketball nirvana, which is like this fast break, you know, really quick, phenomenal um, ball movement thing. That's just the magic. And I think Kevin Herter called it, you know, the ball is power and that's really what the team is. I mean, I value the team above everybody else. My absolute favorite player is Davion Mitchell, who not the whole, the fan base is not super high on, I wouldn't say, but he is probably one of the most exciting defensive players I've ever watched. Um, like I said, I've been watching basketball forever and his on ball pressure is just out of this world and then he does this crazy these crazy things like where he'll blow up their illegal screens and he'll get them because he can navigate screens so easily especially on the perimeter he'll bust them and it is so funny I like I just laugh when he does that so I love watching off ball stuff um but I think there's a lot of depth on our team I also would just just throw Chemezi Matu out there because he's also I think a great defender and when he's playing small ball center we tend to play really fast um, he plays for pretty limited minutes I think like around 15 minutes if he's getting them and um, but he's he's feisty he has a really high motor 
And um, I just think he's a big part of what's gotten us here and he never gets the credit for it. People are, people are very down on him. So I'm always, I'm always rooting for the underdogs and the people that maybe you look at the box score and you're like, Hmm, what was, you know, what did he do? But if you didn't watch the game, you don't know, you know? So those are my picks, I guess. I love that your small ball center is the same size as the guy we've had playing center basically every time Nurk is out because we are the tiniest <laughs> team in basketball history right now. Because <laughs> I isn't Drew, Drew's six nine, right, Tara? I think he's six nine. He's not that big. Um, but yeah, I I I have to say I do kind of like Kevin Herter just like philosophically because he's super uncool, and I really like guys that are like like. Like I, he's so good at basketball, but he is like not a cool guy and he looks uncool in a headband. And I didn't think I would ever see a dude who looked that uncool in a headband, but would ball that hard. <laughs> and so I, and also he's a ginger. Yep. And I love that this year he's like, no, I'm doing a little bit different. It's, it's headbird, uh, headband herder this year. Like we're, we're, we're trying a new vibe. Like let's, let's see how it turns out. And so he's kept that it. That's how I felt he about like it. for a while, like the, like the, like the Spurs, like the Spurs felt really swagless, <laughs> but they were still super good. And I'm like, you feel like out of that mold and um, he's crazy good at basketball and really important to the team. And every time we play against him, I'm like, oh, this guy making my life hard. <laughs> Are there any players? He was the, he was, the, Kevin was also the one that uh, coined the, the bean team, right? Like nickname. Um, that that came about because of, of like he had an Instagram right like tag yeah that, that he was, gives great post game, game. like, like uh, he's his, my favorite yeah. post game guy like he just says cool stuff and like nerdy stuff you would love and, him. um like the ball is power that is just that's incredible right I mean that's what we all want out of basketball and uh but he you know and he's he's really sarcastic so he'll like make fun of the other guys in a really like, you know, undercutting sort of way, but it's hilarious. And I, he's funny and, and great. And like I said, I think his off ball stuff is really fun to watch too. Uh, just cause he tries so hard and his, the whole team I think has, has gotten really good at cutting. And that's a part of what makes the game so beautiful to me is they're all cutting off of what Domas is doing. So Domas is doing like the dribble handoff at the top of the key and everyone else is moving and he finds them. And so the motion of the team is to me what has really like leveled us up. It's not just, you know, the passing or the it's that everyone is moving all the time. And um, so that to me is like the more general team concept that I think is beautiful about how we've played this year. You brought it up, Jill. Tell us the whole story behind the beam. Where did that come from? You guys have the absolute coolest way to celebrate winning a game that I've like ever heard of. And what's funny is no one knew it existed because we lost the first four games. <laughs> so like it was going to be a thing and we just never knew. So you could have seen it game one had they not called the technical foul on Terrence Davis after that dunk. Right. Um, which changed, you know, the flow of the game at the end there. But um, yeah, I mean, Vivek's kind of talked about it. It's still to me kind of like squirrely and 
whoever gets the credit or who who is the one that that determined it but whoever it was amazing job um i think they they mentioned something about maybe the anaheim angels that they do something after their wins um that kind of gave them idea of um let's put this laser on the top of our arena and they had to get it approved right through um um like the FAA flight travel, you know something? whoever like yeah um between everyone involved in in the sky and locally that you know it's not like someone attacking or um aliens coming down but because the first time it happened literally you had people posting on twitter what is this purple thing that's shooting in the air? like did anybody else see this purple like what is going on um and then the team finally came out and was like it's our beam and so, and then Kevin Herter did the whole beam team. Um, but I will say that the team has been um, making YouTube videos called The Run for our season. So I recommend you guys to watch them. They're like 20 to 30 minutes per episode, but it will give you some great fun stories internally of them at practice. Um, you know, the, that's how the Mike Brown, I don't know if you guys saw that um, turn on the fucking jets where he's like running. Um, and training camp. And so that's become like the tagline of anytime something happens, it's, you know, turn on the F and jets and go, but they talk about the beam there. So you'll get to see Vivek, like sit there and, and explain his, you know, little piece of, you know, however it happened. Um, and then like the, the players bought into it and the fans bought into it because and then a lot of people were joking about it because when that first happened and they put it on NBA TV they were making jokes like oh cool but they're only going to see it like 19 times so you know whatever it's like not going to be as this thing but because we won 48 games so far like it's taken on um you know this identity of itself which is so cool that it's how we keep saying things have been coming together like perfectly the beam as being part of that, you know, it's has created a whole other, you know, excitement. And so you have people going to games and waiting outside and you have the players getting excited. You will love this. Kevin Herter, when they interview the players who, um, who's favorite, uh, the person, the player that their favorite thing to do is light the beam. They all said Kevin Herter, like he's, he's the, the beam guy. And so, um, you know, they do a countdown in the arena and they created that like huge fake, you know, button that people push. Um, and, uh, people are waiting outside. I take my nephew, like his biggest thing is we're going to see the beam tonight. Like it's going to be a thing. Um, and part of the thing they're doing for the playoffs is they're creating this whole fan experience, um, in like the, the open, you know, court area that's around us. And they're going to let, um, fans act like they're lighting the beam thing. And so you can get like a video of like you lighting the beam. Um, the, the merch that they've been able to sell is crazy. Um, it's just taken on, uh, Sabonis and Fox had their like beam commercial where they're sitting in the conference room with, um, Mark Jones and Katie Christensen who are, um, who do our, uh, TV and play-by-play, right? And so they're talking about, what do you guys think about um, this beam idea or whatever, you know? And it's super cheesy and like Sabonis and Fox do a high five together of a light the beam, like uh, doing an all-star thing. They have them uh, 
you know, sitting at like the, the ticket sales reps, you know, with their little headphones on and doing cheesy beam stuff that it's, it's just created, you know, and all, and it became like authentic, right? Like it was organic. Um, I don't think it, you know, to me, like if, if another team would have done it, like it just became organic with here and yeah. fun. They listed it as a holy place on Google Maps. Yes. Uh, like people were like, you know, <laughs> we're like, oh, I'm going to pray at the beam. And, you know, and it, it has like a cute little saying on there, like the beam can heal you and all this different stuff. So it's taken on a life of it. So I looked it up while Jill was talking. So it's John, okay. according to the interwebs, John Reinhardt, president of business operations, based it off the big a sign of the los angeles angels so okay okay you mean the anaheim angels or the for the for the, for the, for the, for the baseball team yeah or yes. the los angeles yeah. angels of anaheim or whatever they call themselves yeah. so yes i was gonna say this because i when you brought that up this is what, exactly what i thought of i don't think that whoever dreamed up the beam is what made this the secret sauce. I think it's the team. It's only the team because the the angels suck. Nobody is excited to watch that A light up. Nobody gives a crap. It is the team. The team made the beam the thing. If the beam was on your team last year, nobody would have cared about the beam. The beam is only good because the team is good. And that is- Oh, the it, it's become like an identity thing with them. Yeah, hundred percent. It just came along at the right time for the right team and the team like carried it, it on. It's not about the actual beam. It is about the team. And I love that so much because it's like, you have like a thing that's really uniting, but it's not because it's just, oh, what great marketing. It's like, no, what a great team. And now we have a symbol for us. I love like your that bat signal. Taken yeah. on this whole other life too, where like they just sent the email out about buying playoff tickets. And at the bottom, it says, we encourage everybody in Sacramento to light their houses purple for the playoffs. So like, and, and then our friend Dave Lack built like a 3D model where you can put say. a team out the top and you can like 3D print it. And like, you know, everybody has their, their own little like crafty thing that they're doing or they put Christmas lights up and light them purple or so it's it's such a cool fun way that people can totally do their own thing to be a part of it too and um it just I mean so much of basketball for me is like Joe was talking about taking your nephew like I watch with my son like it's about the family connections that you have while watching it you know and I think like, it's such an easy access point for a little kid. Like there is a purple beam in the sky. Like, <laughs> yeah, I ordered it for him. He has like this little acrylic light now that it's almost like a, a night light, right? Like in your room. And so you can turn it different colors, but it's a light the beam. And then it's just like a soft glow purple um, that night uh, that lights up the light. But we have, yeah, you've seen people who have programmed their Alexa to say light the beam and like they've ordered like these Amazon like beam like lights that light up and so um she listens to it and then says light the beam back and I mean people have created um a bunch of fun ways to use it for we see people have the lights on their balconies um in the front of their house like Meg said they've turned um their outside lights purple so they you know turn them on like that when um after a king's win so it's it's created this whole um purple everywhere like it which we had you know years ago and so it's cool seeing it back but in a whole different light and for different reasons well and I can't wait for you all to re to go back to what it's like 
during playoffs when suddenly everybody in town are best friends. Like, it's like, you know, you like you you cheer for a team and you're like a diehard fan and you think everybody knows what's going on, but nobody really knows what's going on with the team until the playoffs start. And then suddenly you're looking at other people across the street who are also wearing matching gear and you're like, hey, what's up? It's just going to be so fun for you. Excited. Even having a good season, like I go to the grocery store and like, I'll hear from like across the store, go Kings or like light the beam. And it's, it's I was going to say people yell light the beam if you're in Kings here and you see each other in public now, like you yell light the beam. (laughs) Yeah. And now you're going to have all those people who were like, haven't been paying attention, who've this whole time managed to like steer clear of all of that. And then suddenly they're going to go, what? And then oh it's gonna be so fun I'm so excited to watch you go do you have a like dream first round matchup because it's like not going to be decided until what tomorrow Sunday I kind the, of the, play the, the stuff people are putting out of all the scenarios are crazy yeah like it's, it's confusing as heck I I yeah. I want to play the Clippers because because it's less there's less like hype around Kawhi um and I know PG probably won't be playing but it's not the same level as like the LeBron Steph narratives that just overwhelm everything else that's happening and as much as like I try and tune some of it out I want some of it to be about us and our basketball and um you know so far like right like the the national pods are like discounting us like oh they're going to be out in the first round they don't they can't play defense that you know oh it's a different game in the playoffs like I, they're saying like a lot of stuff that I'm not totally sure is true um but I just want part of the conversation whether we win or lose to be about us too I don't want it to be all about LeBron LeBron you know is is like I feel like those series are always about him succeeding or failing whether he wins or loses you know or I mean it's going to be about the Warriors collapse if they lose not about our win you know what I'm saying so maybe that's a weird take but no I totally want that for you too because like I mean that's always the Blazers experience in the playoffs is like you're you don't like Teams like the Kings or the Blazers do not have main character energy for the national media. And that's like super annoying because it doesn't matter how good you are. You know, you're not the main character of the NBA. And so there you're never going to be You're never people aren't going to write about what makes you good or what makes you interesting or what makes you like. Like a potentially formidable opponent, because they're always going to frame you a little bit as like. Like the villain, because you don't have main character energy, but I really want that for the Kings because as a fan, I am tired of main character energy from the same main characters season after season. Oh my God. So tired. That is such a perfect way to put it. I love that. What you're the main character energy. That is perfect. Yeah. We need more. We need way more main characters. Like let's have tons of characters you know that makes totally. it more fun in my opinion totally make this the avengers not captain america here like we can have more main characters in this like if disney's proved anything they can prove that they can make a movie with like 15 main characters and you care about all of them 
So let's care about the Kings this season. And I've decided that I'm a Kevin Herter fan. So me and my favorite ginger with the headband and his, I'm going to follow him on social. That's my guy. There we go. There it is. Kevin Herter fan. Tara, have you picked one? I think I'm going to go all in for De'Aaron Fox. Um, I mean, I've already always also, I've always loved, um, uh, Demonis Sabonis wherever he was uh but yeah I didn't know a lot about Fox and he sounds you know very loyal like our Damian Lillard and so yeah I'm gonna go I'm gonna be all in on him this year I make sure you follow his wife too make sure you follow Rose like on Twitter awesome. she is phenomenal and she calls people out and she'll bitch about the refs and I Everything she tweets, I like automatically retweet because she's so awesome. Ooh, excellent. Fun and funny. And um, it's just cool having a female voice like be so prominent yeah. in the team. And she, there she's early become a fan there, like we all have, like big thing. She's in it, but she's a legit like, she's played the game and she, right, has a lot invested personally, but she's a fan like the rest of us and literally wants to see this place succeed. Yeah. And she's feisty and sassy. And like the, at the beginning of the year, there was this whole band-aid thing where Malik got hurt and he wore a band-aid and De'Aaron was really mad about it and like thought it was stupid. And she brought band-aids for like all the fans. She brought like 4,000 band-aids and passed them out. And like, so just funny, you know, stupid stuff like that, which is my favorite. I love gimmicks. I'm, I'm here for all the gimmicks. Yeah. She was like, D can deal with it. Like I'm bringing him and passing him out, <laughs> but it became a thing. It was a uh, band-aid monk. Like it became a thing. And so all the fans were wearing the band-aids um, for, I mean, it, it had last, I feel like it lasted a good, like 10 games. Like, it, I mean, it went on where yeah. he had a hell of a streak. And um, so we were like, you have to keep wearing the band-aid. You can't take it off. And so even after it healed, he just kept, he kept wearing it. Cause they were, um, they were on I don't such think a streak. It happens they lost the game. Correct. Yep. <laughs> and it might it might have been their seven game streak when I they think had it that was. one. Yeah. Um, so it was like you, yeah. Until they lose, like you just have to keep it going. <laughs> okay. So if we see band aids on the faces of fans, um, we know a little bit. I I feel like, yeah. Malik would do like the different patterns every time. So he would have like a new one every time. Huh. It would be like a super cute, like little kid one or like, you know, and he would, he, and he's such, he's like super style icon too. So it would totally fit him. But I think for me, why it was meaningful was not about the band-aid. It was going back to what, like a, about the refs and the inequality and in calls and so it was kind of like an allegory of the fact that we get absolutely zero calls, like, and we're getting beat up over here, like, give us some freaking calls. So mm -hmm. I, that's why I loved it on that other level of, you know, and again, that's kind of why I don't want to play the Lakers or the Warriors either, because I feel like we would have to storm the court and like bash the refs over the head, like just to get the same calls, you know, and that Austin Reeves does or whatever, like, and, um, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to think that we lose anything because of a ref ever. You know what I mean? That's just right. not cool. We've had that before. Um, the other, since we're talking about Fox and Monk too, I mean, uh, a cool story just between them is they're best friends and neither one of them had made the playoffs before. And so they keep saying like for the first time to be doing it with your best friend who you help, you know, recruit and bring on this summer, um, 
and both having the best careers, like the best, you know, season of their careers together and just like, and you can see the joy of them playing together on the court and they have their secret handshakes and um, they will make passes to each other that it's like, if it was anybody else, you know, that that chemistry wouldn't be there, but it's, they just know each other so well. Um, and they do a little, uh, the Kings have been doing a, a monk and Fox show together that they put out, uh, videos, um, of them asking questions and things like that. But it's just cool to be, you know, that all this success is happening with your best friend, you know, in your first year together. And so you can just see the joy of, of them together and, and how it's played out. I love this so much. Um, thank you for coming and joining us today and talking about your team. I'm really excited to watch the Kings in the playoffs. We are running out of time. So I want to make sure that we get to this thing that we love to do here, which is we want to ask you about your takes this week. And we do this every week. It can be basketball related. It can be not, but I want to know what's your take. I'll start us today. Uh, my take, because I'm sitting here watching the Blazers play the Clippers while we're recording this podcast, is that they need to sit Kevin Knox right now because he might mess up this loss for us. Kevin Knox looks great. And I'm actually like, Tara and I, we always pay, pay a lot of attention to these, to like the new guys and the young guys. Um, Kevin Knox is a player that I feel like has not really had a fair shake. And he's like kind of under underexplored as um, what kind of role he could play on a team. And right now he looks quite good to me. That's my take. Okay. I'm going to go next. Cause my take was also Kevin Knox related as I've just been thinking about him so much this week. And, you know, we had to, tr- we had to pivot into, Oh, okay. We're going to watch and cheer on young guys for the last two weeks. Okay. Understandable. That's not a huge leap for me because I love doing that anyway. And I can find, like the joy in just about anything. For instance, this is not Kevin Knox related, but up until last game, um, summer league championship game MVP Trendon Watford had only had two dunks the entire season. And then last game, he dunked twice, doubling his output in a single game for an entire season. And that brought me so much joy. But I've really, really been watching Kevin because Kevin Knox and Cam Reddish are two car- two players who I really think were just not served well by where they've already been. And I really hope, I, I'm going to say I think that Kevin Knox has a, a, a really good chance of being on the team next year because I think he fits what this coach wants to do. And so I'm keeping my fingers crossed for him. And I had a lovely chat with him uh, at the season ticket holder event. So basically we're best friends. So basically what I want from my best friend <laughs> is yeah, I love uh, his, a spot. Yeah, such a cool, like, I hate talking about guys like this, but he's such a great NBA body. Like his size is so intriguing. So he could really be like a three or a four and he can shoot. It just feels like he's never gotten consistent minutes anywhere. Yeah, nobody's really known how to like use him and been like, this is who you are for the team. You know, it was like he was with the Knicks and they were like, who knows what they knew what they were doing, right? Right. Or no, he was with Atlanta first. And so like picky about his rotation and guys who were playing a million minutes. And so I'm hoping he works out for you guys because I like him a lot too. My take is just that like, I think we just need way more small market, you know, like coverage 
as a whole, like we need more stars. We need more villains. Like I'm totally in on the Dylan Brooks experience. Like let's just like have more people from small markets be stars. And um, it, it's just such a richer experience to include everyone and not just focus in on the big markets, not just focus in on the super superstars. And I know you guys have an amazing super superstar in Dame, but the rest of the team is important too. Um, I've had trouble like transitioning to like successful basketball because I'm used to doing what you do, you're doing is like seeing the upside of, you know, these deep bench guys and these like draggy minutes of the season which I think is also fun to a certain extent, you know, it's not a total, um, it, yeah, you'd be, rather be winning, obviously, but, you know, I think there's something to be said for developing guys and letting them have consistent minutes when they haven't gotten them before. So yeah, I love basketball and let's have more main characters. That's my take. I, we had somebody the other night um, on Twitter say like, why is anybody even watching this game why would anybody even pay money to go to this game and i was just like well because these guys deserve to have somebody to cheer for them like they didn't ask for this and they're making the absolute most of it that's why i'm going that's why i'm paying money i paid extra the other night to go because i wanted to be there when the kings um clinched the playoffs and it was just like it was fun for the kings but it was also like the blazers those guys are playing hard and they deserve to have somebody to cheer for them. So I'm sorry. I'm going over my takes. I will stop talking. <laughs> no, you're good. I um, saw Knox in summer league, his rookie year. And I remember tweeting about how much I actually, like he was a game that I ended up staying after, you know, and watching other games after I watched the Kings game. And I was like, I like this kid, um, you know, and it's always interesting seeing like young wings, right? Like, can they develop and how do teams use them? Because they are such commodity. Like if you can figure it out, everyone's looking for that wing, um, that they can use. And so I love seeing a team like the Blazers take a chance on it. Right. And then seeing what the kid to do, like, let him play, put him out there, um, and I, I, you know, I hate seeing young kids being called busts and all this stuff because they land in spots that don't necessarily um, bring out the best of them. Or, you know, I like seeing them get an opportunity to go elsewhere and and prove that, you know, they can do it, uh, you know, that it's that it very much can be part of, you know, where you were the situation you were brought into. I mean, there's so many Kings players. I know you love Ben McLemore, and I think that's the same thing here. Like, had he had gone, I think, to anywhere else outside the Kings because that year he ended up having like three coaches and his best uh, developmental assistant coach left as well. Um, like as a rookie and you're coming in, then now you have three coaches, like everything changes. And then you have a bunch of new coaches after that too, that th that's just not a scenario. I think where young players are ever going to develop and thrive. So um, that kind of situation. So I'm just excited to see him out, but all my take, I'll be saying how um, for the, the women's college basketball tournament, since that happened this last week, how much fun that was to watch all across the board, all the games loved it. The storylines um, can't wait for the WNBA season and the aces. And um, 
seeing now, I mean, the, the transfer portal that's going on in college basketball right now, I don't know if anybody's watching it, but today, like just from the five players that announced today, someone said that they would probably be, um, uh, a top, uh, they'd make it to the final four, like just that roster of five players, like they would be a final four team. And so seeing, you know, all these pieces move and where they end up landing is going to be, um, exciting and interesting. And, I can't wait to watch them next season. And I love that they had so many eyes on them and, you know, just continuing to show that if you put the product out there and you make it available for people to view, people will watch it. (laughs) Amazing how that happens. Right. Um, So I hope they do that for, for the WNBA team. And I'll throw this out there for anyone um, that's interested in watching the WNBA, the league pass is $25, $25 for the season. Get just to watch the aces and the Liberty alone. I mean, Mm -hmm. you will get, you'll get your money's worth. So um, that's my take for, for the week. Excellent takes all around, just excellent conversation. And um, thanks for all the insight about the Sacramento Kings and who knows where our team will be next year. Maybe we will be roaring back. Hopefully I thought this was only going to be a one-year tank, but apparently it was a two-year tank. Hopefully next year we'll be uh, Blazers will be rolling back into the playoffs. But for now, I know I'm going to put all my support behind the Sacramento Kings. So yeah, thanks so much for being here. Would you, um, Meg, do you want to tell folks how they can find you on Twitter? And if you do any other, uh, you maybe like how, again, remind people about where to find the book club or any other, uh, projects that you work yeah, on. So I'm just, I'm at M E G A L U T O U on Twitter. And, um, yeah, I just do the book club right now. Occasionally I'll, I'll probably do spaces in the future i love doing spaces and i don't know what else i'll do i'm totally decided i get nerdy about money stuff i do like break breakouts team salaries by pie charts and stuff like that but that's probably too nerdy for most people those are so cool by the (laughs) way i just i love those i've retweeted a few of the ones at least ones about the blazers um so if if people have noticed those those are so cool I hadn't really like looking at year guys is I hadn't really realized like Justice Winslow was pretty much gone the whole season. Right. And he was kind of a big part of, I mean, you see what they were trying to do by how they spent their money. And then you kind of can see how it didn't really work out and the pivot they made going into the offseason. So anyways, I get nerdy about stuff and uh, publish like 25, you know, tweet threads and stuff like that so you may or may not want to follow me (laughs) but I I really appreciate the discussion I'm like so uh, I feel so much uh, love for you guys after really realizing how similar the two small markets are that is the part of uh, breaks of the game that just absolutely was revelatory for me is he does a great job of like you know telescoping in and out about television and uh you know season tickets and the players and but the part that really really endeared me was just the small market one team towns um you know we're it we are it we're the shit take away (laughs) awesome jill how about you you want to share where we can find your work yep you can find me um on twitter at jilladge I also have my podcast for Sports Ethos Kings. And then um, soon I will be joining uh, the Kings Herald. So 
look out for that announcement and um, what projects I have coming up with that. Wonderful. I'm, I'm excited to see what you're going to be doing with King's Herald. That's exciting. Nice. Um, okay. Well, everybody, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you so much for listening to us. Um, I will say that you can find me at TCB Biggs on Twitter and you can find, we have a take at, we have a take and Rose, you want to tell people where they can find you and take us out of here. Yeah. You can find me at Rose L Harding on Twitter and on Instagram. I want to give one quick shout out to my friend, Steven, that I met who is a uh, and my Twitter, my Blazer Twitter's friend that I accidentally ran into at a concert on Thursday. So shout out to Steven. Um, and uh, thanks for being with us here this week, y'all. Uh, go Blazers and go Kings. 